Welcome back to another episode of Decoded. My name is Sydney Lai. And if you found yourself at this developer podcast and you're thinking, I'm not a dev, don't worry. Parts of this episode will make sense, but most of this episode will be fun. And if you are a dev, then this is just going to be a really fun conversation diving into Twilio and understanding understanding what is what would life be like without Twilio? I mean, I think we use it a lot of people we come across a lot of this on a daily basis, but I don't think we really realize that we do. As a reminder, the show is brought to you by OutSystems, which is a developer platform that helps devs build enterprise web and mobile applications. So I'm excited to dive in. Let's take a look. I am super excited to welcome Corey Weathers. He's a developer advocate at Twilio. Corey, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Yeah. So, okay, you're currently in Pennsylvania and you spent time in the Bay. Were you working in tech in the Bay as well? Yeah, I I started my career in the Pacific Northwest at Microsoft officially post-undergrad and then moved down to the Bay uh, for my then wife to get her PhD at Stanford. And as a part of that, I hung out some more at Microsoft. I worked for a a smaller uh, late stage uh, pre-IPO company. And then after that, I joined Twilio. Wonderful. What brought you to Twilio? You know, it's funny. So I, they kept calling me. This is so crazy. I had no idea of Twilio until they called me the first time. And, you know, if you spend enough time in the Bay, you you get hit up by enough companies that you sort of are like, look, I'm good. Leave me alone. Stop bothering me. It's a nice place to be. So I will acknowledge the privilege after talking to them the first time. I actually got really good vibes off of uh, the recruiter whose name was Ted and and Ted and I actually still in contact. But then I I actually really started to like what I was learning about the company and, you know, what started as a phone call in uh, late August, early September turned into an interview process that then turned into a job offer in December. So I, I say, yes, let's do it. Yeah, let's rock and roll. Well, I think that's what I love about working for tech companies, especially in the Bay, is that sometimes you will use these products, you'll use these technologies every day seamlessly with your everyday workflow. And sometimes you don't even realize that it's there. And that's what I really want to talk about today is bringing that narrative to Twilio, right? So we use Twilio every day and sometimes we realize it, sometimes we don't. Yeah. And and I think the first time I came across Twilio was 2013 because around that time, maybe around 2014, Twilio became quote, you know, famous, at least in my world, famous yeah. for its integration with Uber and any kind of ride sharing any kind of ride sharing applications at that point. But what was what was the OG story behind Twilio? Why why was it created? Why was it needed? You know, even in 2008. So the thing about Twilio, it it really speaks to sort of our founder, our C, well, co-founder and CEO Jeff. So Jeff Lawson uh, is our current CEO. He's actually just written a book called Ask Your Developer where he talks a little bit about this story. And what he talks about in there is he's sort of always had the entrepreneurial spirit And in exploring that, he had done a lot of sort of bricks and mortar types of companies where you had to set up a storefront and had to sell some product and had to add some software integration into it to to really get the thing to scale. And one of the things that he realized as he had gone through all of the different iterations was this idea that, one, the different products that he was trying to sell, he just wasn't that interested in. (laughs) Two, 
all of these things ran into sort of the same roadblocks when it comes to setting up the companies. And one of those fundamental roadblocks was communications. And, and if you think about this, right, and I always say this, if Twilio didn't exist and you were trying to build a product that could make phone calls and you're in, you know, 2008, how would you actually do, like, how do you do that? You don't just call up the phone company and say, like, I'm going to build an app. I need some phone numbers. And by the way, I'm going to spam your, your your infrastructure with a bunch of text messages. Like, you can't do that. So that is sort of where Twilio comes from. It is to fulfill a need for not just individual software developers, but also businesses who oftentimes struggle with the same things of how can they effectively both communicate inside the company and with their customers. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because just as you propose this question of what is the world without Twilio, that that just, I was just like, oh my God, I cannot imagine a world without Twilio, which is ironic because even like people outside of who are devs don't even realize <laughs> that Twilio, ex- does that make sense, right? It, like It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It, it, so it's like, if you tell grandma, like grandma, can you imagine a world without Twilio? They'd be like, what? <laughs> but- well, th- Right. The, the thing I think about a lot there is, is the story of like the timing matters here. Right. Because, you know, Twilio starts at a time where cloud computing is really just becoming a bit more accepted by developers, not even businesses, developers. That's right. So this is one of these things where like, if you don't pay attention to that fact and how sort of the growth of Twilio parallels the growth of cloud computing, then you you miss one of the aspects, which is, we as an industry got to a point where we were like, all right, well, let's rely on other people to do things for us so we don't have to do the heavy lifting. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, if Tolio can make a phone call and send a text message, yes, let's take that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I mean, I think it also follows the trajectory of the future of automation and getting workflows more integrated seamlessly, right? And so when I look at how, when I even just look at how Twilio really caters to the developer ecosystem. One of the things that I noticed, it's it's very JS heavy. There's a lot of frameworks around JS, but I think, yeah. you know, there's a lot of other languages that you also serve. But I think before we get into that, I want to understand how was Twilio originally built and, you know, has it changed since then? And yeah. Yeah, this is a question we actually get a lot. And I'm actually really bad at answering this, but I'm going to tell you this story. Jeff is um, a PHP developer. And loves him some PHP. I mean, he does JavaScript too, right? And and I I always start with Jeff because Jeff, like every year at our annual conference, Signal, he jumps up on stage and he writes some code. And and he'll go back and forth, right, between PHP and JavaScript. And developers just love him because that code that he writes is like is most of the time it works. <laughs> if if I may, if I also may add, I think a lot of like teams and products of that era a lot of these platforms started in PHP. And it, and at some point, I don't, you know, I'm not a part of that circle, but, you know, sometimes PHP gets, you know, laughed at or picked on or something like that. So it's, it's you know, everyone has their own flavor. But you're right. I think that a lot of these companies around this era really started with the PHP language. Well, PHP still powers a majority of the internet, right? And, and I is, it would be terrible of me as a developer evangelist to get on a podcast where we talk to other developers about developer things and say, I can't stand PHP. That would be horrible. So I'm not going to do it. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. This is this is not the section of the internet for that. You can find that on 4chan. Please continue. Exactly. But nevertheless, Jeff wrote a bunch of this in PHP and some of his code is actually still running behind the scenes as what I understand a legend. it. 
What? Yeah. That's yeah. a wait, hold up. That's cool. I mean, now we've sort of branched into like a good bit more Java, a good bit more C, a little bit of C, as I understand it, a good bit of Python. Um, there obviously a good bit of JavaScript, but there is definitely like it's not a one size fits all, one language fits all sort of thing, which makes sense. If you think about the scale of Twilio and now we've gotten so big that we've acquired a bunch of other companies and even those companies have their own tool stacks and their own languages that they use. So we are quite the, the diverse family at Twilio. Right. Huh. <laughs> and so then what were some of the early case studies? What Like, you know, in, even in 2008, early 2010, because I think the use cases for Twilio have changed a lot. The products that you guys have built out has changed a lot. Also, just the use cases of technology and the way we consume uh, Twilio is super different in 2021, 2020, 20, 2015, 2010. It is crazy. Like, it it actually still yeah. blows my mind. No, I, I think the way that I think about this is Twilio started with programmable voice, right? And And I, like, when I did my research, the first video I found was of the first developer evangelist, John Britton, doing a demo at a New York City developers meetup where like he wrote the code. One of our signature things is, you know, for all of our demos, we write our code live on straight on stage and we demo, we do it live because no shenanigans. We are not about that life, right? And so if you think about the, the use case of just telephony, right? And, and the Uber scenario of, well, what does it mean? Because Uber is not really like a taxi company. Uber is very much a matchmaking company. Ooh, and they yeah. happen to use communications, uh, different communications channels to do the matchmaking. This is it. This is literally it. It's how do you empower companies to be able to connect with their customers in ways that their customers prefer? So you start with voice and then over time you expand into messaging and then over time you expand into what it means to do this globally. So, you know, outside of the United States, because that comes with its own set of restrictions. And then you start to expand into other scenarios like, well, what does it mean to tap into other ways to communicate? Whether that's, you know, what we call message-based chatting. So like being able to send chat messages online, doing video messages. What does it mean to, to sort of not take over all of the channels, but take over all of the channels so that Twilio becomes a super easy solution to build with. And I look at this now and like, I look at companies like HackerRank who use us for video and most people wouldn't know. I look at companies like uh, Lyft, which most people think they may be using us for messaging, but Lyft uses us to actually run some of their internal communications because we built a programmable contact center on top of everything that we were already doing. Or like the United Way who uses Autopilot because the United Way uses autopilot to help power some of their communications so that you can have human-based communication without having to do too much machine learning on your own. I, I just think that's all super interesting now as we think about more evolution of what does it mean to communicate with companies or to have companies allow companies, customers to communicate with one another. Yeah, I think a lot of times what I hear, it can be from users, it can be from friends. There's just this frustration of having this inability to reach companies. We don't necessarily want companies to reach us all the time, but we right. want to have a seamless, frictionless ability to reach companies. And, and I think there's also the shift of companies trying and learning to become more personable as well. But I think this is all to say, when you look at the transformation of communication, and one could argue just communication from the beginning of millennia, but I'm just talking about anywhere from 2010, 2015, mm -hmm. 2020, communication has also become almost productized. Yes. And I'll try to explain this in the best way that I can. Productized in the sense of now 
I have seen, you know, startups, app idea, quote, app ideas or feature ideas where you're actually removing the user away from a mobile app, but it's like, hey, this value add or this service or this product is just SMS. Yes. It's just SMS. And there was a project that I was talking to. It was dating or relationship, quote, man- management through SMS. <laughs> and that was it. There wasn't an app that you log into. You know, the startup was fundraising, et cetera. It's just SMS. There was another company in 2014. It was language translation. But instead of what you would see, like a Google Translate, it was SMS based, right? So it, it kind of reminds me of right now in 2021, what's really popular with <laughs> with Gen Z is the other generation is this actually <laughs> migration, right? The migration of revisiting applications, web experiences from the 90s, like late 90s, early 2000s is cool again for those yeah. who were actually not born during that time. Where am I going with this random rant? I think where I'm really going is seeing the evolution of communication and applications change and how we interact with that. And I think Twilio has been a part of that journey every single way. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, you know, where communication has come with the journey of Twilio and where you guys are headed to. Yeah, this is, it's, this is a question that I think about a lot in large part, because I am someone who has been working professionally in the industry since roughly 2004, 2005. So I I have the benefit, most folks who've been in the industry for, I'm going to say at least 10 years, have the benefit of hindsight in that we all realize the number one thing to be true is patterns just repeat themselves. This is, it may feel new, it may feel different, but in a lot of ways, it is a rehash of parts of what we've already learned and knew about ourselves. That is so beautiful. Their sub stack and before it was blog, Blogs, blogspot was that? Yeah, yeah, like, blogspot. Oh my god, I had to like, I had to like <laughs> dig in the back of my brain. I was like, well, yeah. But this is it, right? And so I, I think about when I joined Twilio because I only joined Twilio in 2017. The, the phrase that was on Twilio.com is connect the world with code. And I, as a developer evangelist, we would then say at that time, our job is to inspire and equip developers to build the future of communications. And building the future of communications sounds like this super esoteric goal and this thing that we really want to go after. But it speaks to the heart of everything you just mentioned, which is productizing communication is really more focusing on what it is that people want and how they choose to connect. How can you democratize how people choose to connect with others? So instead of me having to download a full-fledged app that connects to some social network where I can only send a message and maybe hit a like button and maybe share that thing. Well, no, and I can just send a text message because that's way more easy and convenient. And in fact, I don't want to install another app because who wants to do that? Can I just say that I think some of the best case studies or just projects that I've seen is it's typically with a Twilio integration. And I think why that is, is that you're able to solve a need. I think Twilio projects and Twilio hacks typically come from a burning need. And then they're just like, I just need to fix this. So anything it, because it works and it, what's so beautiful, it's like, oh, it's so air quotes, low tech. It's so quote <laughs> low tech because it's just SMS, right? So I had a friend, he was getting married and instead of doing, I'm not married, so I don't know, you know, all the shenanigans, the, the, the websites and the registries and then are you coming and then they're save the dates and, you know, I forget all, but anyways. So what he did was he, with Twilio and some Python, he automated all the text messages like, hey, save the date. 
are you coming? I'm going to send you a text every month until you say yes or no. So that was incredible. So that was Jordan. I'm going to give Jordan a shout out. But there there was another project (laughs) that I had found. Um, I'm in New York and uh, this woman owns a car in New York. And she's like, hey, I can't keep up with the the side parkings, the street parkings, the whatnot. And there was a Twitter for that. So she exposed the Twitter API. And then with Twilio sent would send her reminders of like, hey, move the car. Or if there's an update that you don't move the car, there was a really kind message to herself. Like, hey, have a great day. You don't need to move the car today. And I think that that is what's so exciting about Twilio because there can be a use case as large or as small to a personal level just to solve even a funky, fun pain point. I I have to tell you, there's so much in what you said that I want to tap into because the first part of this is, is the thing that we all sort of take for granted, but is definitely one of the reasons why Twilio continues to stand out. And it is very much, what does it mean to build something like this quickly, easily, and at scale, right? So as a developer, like we don't just wake up one day like, oh, I'm just going to go write some code to go solve this parking problem because (laughs) I have this parking problem. But we do wake up one day like, man, I really struggle with this parking problem. I wonder if there's a way that I can solve it. And I don't want to spend too much money in the process because yes, we're all cheap. Let's just be clear. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, if you start looking at what are the options out there, Twilio, we do a lot to make sure that you know that we are one of the options you can choose. And part of that is obviously good marketing and SEO terms on our blogs, because we have blogs actually for both of the examples that you just mentioned. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. But then there's also the quick start. So like once you onboard, how do you actually get going so you can send that SMS? And it should be so easy that you don't then need to go read all of this ridiculous API documentation just to send one text message. (laughs) So I think, I think that that's a really good point is that you're, you're able to provide this solution for across different developers. So what are the challenges across different languages, different frameworks? How do you both scale for that? And also how do you provide, how do you provide that seamless experience depending if you're coming from, again, as we mentioned, JS or even .NET? Yeah, this is, this is a two-part question. One part of it is in the tooling and the second part is in serving the community. And you'll hear why I distinguish the two. Because when it comes to the tooling, we've productized what it means to build the right packages and libraries for individual language communities, right? So the work that happens to build out like the .NET library, as an example, since I'm a .NET developer, right? The .NET library, that's all taken care of by our developer education team. And they build it as a product, not as like some technical writing thing that happens to be just a side job of someone's day job responsibilities. And, and that makes it incredibly easy to sort of maintain libraries uh, across different languages. But the second side to that is, you know, a JavaScript developer may care about things that a .NET developer may not and vice versa. Same is true for the other languages, Java, Python, Ruby, you know, I could go on and on. So could you give an example of when you have devs using Twilio, and we're going to take these two common examples, typically when it's a JS dev and they're coming across Twilio, what are some great experiences that they experience? What are some challenges? And same question for .NET, because those developers come from a completely different context as well. Yeah. I mean, if you think about JavaScript, right? And, and a lot of people, I, I love Scott Hanselman who, who called JavaScript the assembly language of the web, right? Yeah. Because you show up with JavaScript uh, across the web and you're looking to build 
different types of applications. These apps may look very web-focused, maybe a spa thing that's sitting on top of some framework. And so you're thinking about NPM packages and you're thinking about ways that you can build this thing in as loosely typed a fashion as possible. And so there's a lot more that you'll see in the quick starts around, okay, well, if you need to de define a JavaScript object, this is the bare minimum that it's going to be. And if that's the case, as you use that JavaScript object, both either in the back end or the front end with our client libraries, because that's another distinction, then things get really interesting, right? And we try to point, point out those dots. Alternatively, you look at a .NET developer, and, and most of us, you know, we, we sit in different types of companies building interesting enterprise systems that to some sound incredibly boring versus to me, I'm like, yes, let's go dig into it, right? And so... There are times where we're like, how do we customize things? Sure, it's nice to be able to send a text message, but how do I then add additional parameters, like change the language or hook this thing up to call back so that when bad things happen, it calls back in the right way and configure some of those callbacks. Now, on the surface, it, they seem like very different types of developers, but they're building the same types of problems. Mm. They're just coming at it from different perspectives. Yeah, that's a really good point in terms of coming at the same problem with different perspectives. I also think I don't, I, unfortunately, I can't share my screen on this, on this audio <laughs> experience, but I'll try to, I don't know if I can link this in the show notes or I'll at least at the very least just send you this image. There's this like New York Times comic strip. There was these two, these two developers on the plane, they're flying somewhere. And it was to a total joke. Like this guy has a baseball cap, you know, graphic t-shirt. And this other guy has a Polo. And the guy with the baseball cap is like, yeah, I built this dog dating app from Soma, you know, I got in this coffee from Soma. And then the other dev with a polo shirt, it's like, yeah, I built the software that runs this plane. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, I, I, yes. Cause I think like TechCrunch does a really great job of like, look at this really random like disposable camera app that raised $4 million. And right. where is the love for, you know, these crazy enterprise softwares that has to like run just massive. It's, yeah, I think that, you know, to bring this back into Twilio, it's, you can use this for a very personal project. Like, hey, let me, let me deal with this parking situation all the way up to, you know, a much grander scale. Yeah, I just got a Stack Overflow question a couple of days ago about um in the world of .NET where someone wanted to take a sample that had been written in JavaScript and Ruby. And I believe the sample does something around signing keys as a part of um, sending text messages, something like this. And I looked at it and I was like, this is a very .NET kind of problem. Why don't we have a .NET sample for it? So I just wrote That's it. That's a good point. Right? And I shared it on GitHub and I updated the Stack Overflow question. But I thought about this and I said, well, I, I'm even also wrong in the way that I think about this. It's a developer problem. It just happens to be that I'm using the tools in my tool stack to, to help me solve that problem. And mm. one of those is the .NET programming languages. And that's, I mean, you know, when we think about developers at Twilio, it's the same way. Like we say, if you're a developer and you want to build, you're welcome at Twilio. That's it, just, that's what we want, right? We want to empower you to be able to build the future of communications. So if you're missing something and you give us feedback, whether publicly or privately, we will always take it. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that this really comes back to as you are incorporating so, so many different types of developers, I think without a doubt for those 
and I think, you know, sometimes even developer advocates are a mystery to, to devs, but I think- Yeah, we are. Yeah, right, right. It's, <laughs> you know, and I think for those who are a part of certain bubbles, without a doubt, Twilio, at least in my perspective, is like legendary when it comes to developer relations, right? And understanding that your experience building with a developer tool is beyond just the API and the technical documents. It's beyond those two factors, right? And so for those who are listening, definitely check out Twilio Quest. I think think when you guys release Twilio Quest, like I just threw up my hands. I'm like, all right, Twilio Quest is a game. It's like, it's a game. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a web, it's a web-based game that basically introduces you in a different way rather than technical documentations to learning, adopting, integrating with Twilio, right? So this is all to say that you made, again, quote, value proposition in 2008 of Twilio is strong. But I think when it comes to like doves, it's like, oh, okay, SMS integrations, right? If you just say, oh, okay, SMS integrations, it's not that exciting. Of course, the use cases is, if you think about the use case, it's a lot more exciting. But when you think about like creating DevRel and become legendary, what has that journey been like for Twilio? And and how did you guys become legendary? Funnily enough, my perception of this is both limited and a bit anecdotal because, right, like I came after the legendary status, so to say, right? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because one of the things that I think has remained true about the company is this idea, specifically when it comes to how we serve developers as evangelists, it comes back to like, it starts with us as evangelists, but it's never about us. And I know that sounds like, that sounds a little bit weird and like, oh, you know, mushy kind of crazy. Let me break that down a little bit. So my definition of success is based upon how I think I can best serve the developers that or the developer communities that I'm already a member of. So like I mentioned, I'm a .NET developer. I'm also a, what I call a coder dad, right? Like I write code, I have two young kids, I'm a single parent. So I'm also figuring out like, what does it mean to do this with my kids running around in the background, always bothering me, right? <laughs> the other side to this is I'm a black developer. And so what does it mean to succeed in an industry? Intersectionality. Exactly. Right. And in this, I serve all of these different communities. So Twilio is never going to say, well, Corey, because you serve .NET, you have to go to a specific event. What Twilio is going to say to me is, well, Corey, how do you think you should best serve .NET developers who, guess what, may also be fathers and happen to be Black and may be at an event? Right. So for the last year and a half, as an example, I've primarily focused on serving developers through Twitch. And it's been phenomenal. We light up the streams every week. We have thousands of hours worth of content over a year's worth, right? And it's viewed by people around the world. I get so much more value out of like serving through Twitch than I would hopping on a plane from the middle of Pennsylvania to go to a conference. And it's not to say that I don't want to go to conferences. I love the people who I meet at conferences. It's just a very different thing. But Twilio has always had that mindset. And so, you know, when we show up at events... Sometimes, like hackathons, we do bring interesting executions, like Twilio Quest. We'll bring that to a hackathon and have students play with us because we think it's fun to play. And while we don't want to distract, it helps them learn how to build with Twilio. Or we'll go to a conference. And like at one conference, we deployed a submarine that you could send text messages to. And the submarine sank the first time. And the second time, something else went wrong. But I love that conference because it's literally called that conference. 
an amazing I, event oh that we go to gosh. every year. <laughs> Wait, is is that conference? Is that a Twilio conference or no? That that oh. conference is a, is a community conference run by a guy I believe named Clark Sell, and um, that conference is is it is to me one of my favorite conferences. Like you do this job enough, and you start to have some favorites. Um, this one is one of my favorites in large part because. It is the only tech conference I can think of that is as family oriented. Like uh, they have a track for kids. It's done at a water park where you can bring your families. They don't fill up the schedule every day for you to be sitting for eight hours at a time. And my kids are not going to entertain me being gone that long, right? So I love that conference. Um, so yeah, one year before I joined the company, they, they took a submarine and, and they were like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could send text messages to the submarine as it's like underwater during the party and then it, have the message pop up on the, the submarine and yeah, the submarine. Oh my gosh. I have to look this up because when you said submarine <laughs> the whole time, I was like, wait, is it a virtual submarine? Is it, is it like- No, this was a real submarine. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I caught this now. I was like, wait- that is is mind-boggling and that's so funny i was like oh maybe i haven't heard of that conference because i'm not like the target demographic but but but, still like when we launched programmable facts we people thought we launched programmable facts on april fool's day oh my gosh i forgot no no no. i i remember oh my gosh i remember when you guys launched programmable facts and i was like hold up what, but did you, yeah. uh, well, yeah. I love that you timed it on April Fool's, but I actually remember that I was, I was still living in the Bay at the time and I was just like, what are they, what are they doing? But I mean, yes, there are still businesses oh, yeah. that still operate on facts. And I don't know if you happen to know this. There was this case study, there, there was a Canadian traveler who needed to go abroad she like had, it was like a bajillion dollars for like a gigabyte of data. And then mm-hmm. I think what she did was like, she created her own dial-up service with Twilio. Am I, do I just sound crazy? Am I? It it, it, it wouldn't surprise it, me if it happened. Right. And and I, I say this because people have done phenomenally interesting things with Twilio. Like I sit back and I'm amazed. Somebody um built a version of Morse code with SMS. And I was like, wait, I didn't realize you could, do that. And they did it. I was blown away. I, you know, I, the number one thing I will never forget when I first joined Twilio, the first story that I heard of someone building something and it like blew my mind and I never forgot it is, um, there's a company called CellEd. CellEd has sort of set out with the mission of helping adult learners learn how to read. And they did that entire, they provided that entire service powered on top of Twilio. And I was just blown away by it because not like I know some adults who do not know how to read and I understand some of that experience and the stigma and the statistics around that. Right, right. And you talk about like serving the public good. And and I mean like they're making some money off of it, but like legitimately there's that. And then there's like, you know, our scenario of what does it mean to play Super Mario Brothers with Twilio SMS? Because we've done that as oh, well. Right. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I think that there's so many, there's so many fun projects that you can build with Twilio. I'd also like to better understand. So then if you were to dog food your own product or or at least it, understand the devs who do use it. So then what are some pushbacks? What are some challenges that you face as a team, you know, on a more serious note? Yeah, I, I think two things that commonly stand up as pieces of feedback. One is pricing. I, it, pricing is always difficult to understand. And, and the reason why I mention this is because developers will often say, well, I don't care about pricing until you get to a point where like you have to because the bill has gotten out of control. And at that point, it gets hard to, to really understand like what developer decisions should you be making 
to make sure that you are doing this thing the most efficiently as possible. So as a good example, we had uh, we have a product called Messaging Services. Messaging Services is set up such that you can take multiple phone numbers, add them to a service, and then have messages come out. Um, instead of you sending them from individual phone numbers to manage the pricing yourself, you have them come out from the service and the service will do some smart things to ensure that you're not spending too much money. If you didn't know about messaging services, you would have been like, well, why would I even bother to pay attention to this? But this is where like, we should do a better job of making it clear as to sort of the where, why, and how you should use some of these things. Mm. I think the second part to this is also what I call like... We do really well in the 101 scenarios. Hey, how do I get started with Tulio? The 201 scenarios. I want to build this specific thing with Tulio. And we're just now really starting to tap into what I'm calling the 301 scenarios, which is, hey, this thing broke. And I'm not entirely sure how to troubleshoot or fix it or make sure it doesn't happen again to start with. We are literally like, well, I think we're just getting to a point now where we're starting to understand what does it mean to serve that type of audience? Because their use case is so specific, and yet there are some broad learnings. So it's a good example. Today I was on a call, and we were talking about how to authenticate webhooks. And I thought to myself, I said, man, this is, this is a really good question. Like, not a lot of people come and ask, how should I be authenticating my webhooks when it comes to Twilio callbacks? And at the same time, part of the reason why people don't ask is because there's no content out there. So we should be putting content out there to address this concern. Mm. And so with that, you've also broken this down into you have different developer communities that you serve, different services. So then how, at least on the Twilio engineering team, how are you guys broken up? Is it engineering teams per service? Is it kind of across the board? What does that look like? For the most part, yes. Um, so if you have different products, our R&D team is set up such that like there's the super network where they sort of take care of all the stuff to make sure one that we have phone numbers and that we've sanitized those phone numbers and that we clean the infrastructure behind that because that stuff is really important and we manage the pricing there, right? So we don't damage relationships with carriers and we're not spamming their networks as an example. But then there's like the product teams themselves as, as well, right? So there's like the programmable video team and uh, programmable, uh, S, the, the messaging team, sorry. Um, and then we have teams that have come in through acquisition. So like we purchased a company named Syngrid, I think early last year, and Syngrid brings the email capability yeah. and email marketing and they've remained an entire business unit, right? Gotcha. So they they continue to function in that way. The same is true for a company we just purchased called Segment. They remain their own business unit and, and they're continuing to deliver in that way. Uh, the MBA, like, you know, if I put on my MBA hat, that I, I could tell you some stories as to why that's a good thing. I won't get too deep into right. it. But most of the times they tell you in, in the research there, like, if you buy a company, don't mess with it. Oh, Let them keep right. doing what they do. Because they know how to do what they do well. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very, very good point. And I think as we see a lot of different dev tools coming together through acquisitions, through merging the teams, it's, you know, does, I mean, this is more of a rhetorical question. Does it fundamentally change the trajectory? And, and I think that for, especially for Twilio, we have seen since 2008, there's a pretty true path of committing to allowing devs to transform the way we communicate, right? 
And yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think too, with what you started with earlier is that you have the ability to look retroactively, right? Since you've been in the industry for so long, since we've, gosh, we've experienced, you know, the the different phases of, of the web. And I, I typically actually enjoy wrapping up the podcast with a question that I typically ask most guests, which is, what is your most nostalgic memory Ooh. of the internet or computer or whatever related where you had that, whoa, this is weird or aha moment or whatever was nostalgic for you? I was going to say GeoCities. That was the first thing that came to mind. I'm old enough to remember oh, GeoCities. Yes. And, and I don't know if, you know, the listeners will remember GeoCities. I just, that was my first real introduction to the web, right? Like, you know, things you can do with CSS, things you could play around with, with formatting your page and the backgrounds and the glittery colors. Yeah. And, and GeoCities, like that was before I even really recognized what JavaScript was. And then I was going to say JavaScript because I remember when JavaScript was the true, like JavaScript feels like the Wild West now. Right, right. Before it felt like the Wild Wild West, like before jQuery and everyone would do different things to try to access an element on a page and their JavaScript would be like this huge bloat. And and now it's still this huge bloat. It's just someone else's problem. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. I wonder, gosh, I wish GeoCities was still around. It'd be hilarious to see some kind of like retro Twilio GeoCities integration. But I, I would have to say, I, for same, I do have this like random rant. I have this mm. random rant on a podcast, on another podcast about me talking about GeoCities. But it, it's, I think that for those who are part of that part of the internet, back in that time. It's funny because we still, we still continue our careers in tech. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. There's, I have no, there's no study. I have no facts on this, but I wonder how many people played with GeoCities and continued working in tech or, cause I don't, how, how else would you discover GeoCities? But yeah, yeah. Th this is, I, I get excited when I think about um, that generation of developers, because the, the analogy yes. that I use is the way you build software today is very different than the way you built software in the time of GeoCities. Oh. Like then was a lot more build it yourself. Now there's a lot more buy and, and compose, right? Oh, so compose, as opposed yeah. to you writing the core functionality, you spend less time focusing on that and putting the pieces together to fit like the most beautiful puzzle you would have ever seen and, and that no one has ever been able to purchase. So now you get to make all the money on the puzzle. Yes. That's the way I think about composers. Software. That's a really good point. That's a really, really good point is that with every generation of developers, and if, if you look at, again, if you look at the time of GeoCities, that was you know, build everything. I mean, outside of GeoCities, build everything from right. scratch. And now a lot of the development work is you're a composer, right? And, yeah. and But it depends, you know, there, there are different devs who have, you know, different schools of thoughts and different tribes, but I think that that's a really good point. And I'm wondering, you know, what are you working on? How can we best support you? What are you currently composing? Aha, that's a good question. <laughs> I spend most of my days these days focused on what does it mean to inspire, equip, and entertain developers on Twilio TV. So Twilio TV is our offering through all things live streaming. Uh, when we hang out on Twitch, and there are a bunch of us on Twitch, uh, a bunch of folks who are evangelists that either work at Twilio, know some Twilio and love it, 
or uh, use Twilio and have some interesting complaints about it. <laughs> but there are a bunch of us on Twitch. So I oh, always tell people to just come find us. Yeah, they'll, right? they'll, be, <laughs> they'll be swarming to, to you. And I think a, a huge context, and I should have probably led with this, is that, you'd be, again, you'd be surprised how some people don't know the role of a developer advocate. But for those <laughs> who are listening, dev advocates are are devs who just love to socialize and talk and fanboy about X, Y, and Z. So yeah, for, yeah I will definitely link uh, Twilio's Twitch TV in the show notes so that they can Absolutely. join you when you guys are live programming, building whatever projects together. It's It's a dev who just wants to go out there and give everyone a big hug. Hey, we serve communities. That is the number one thing we do. And I am both humbled and grateful to do this work every day. Well, Corey, thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining me today. And it was such just a fun conversation. I really appreciate you sharing the journey, the the legend, the future of Twilio. Thank you so much for inviting me, Sydney. And uh, yeah, we'll do this again sometime. <laughs> wow, that was just a lot of love being thrown at Twilio. Thank you so much for sticking towards the very end. I have to say, I think one of the main takeaway messages that I got from this conversation is really understanding how Twilio has been a part of the transformation of the communication landscape. And I can't even imagine a world without Twilio, but sometimes we also forget that Twilio is around, if that makes any sense, right? So that's that seamless design is absolutely incredible. And if this is your first time joining the conversation, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Like, thanks so much for discovering this. And if you are returning, if this is your season two as well, welcome back. And I highly recommend if you know of someone who's working on Twilio or finds these projects interesting, definitely send them a text, send them an email, let them know that this episode exists. Would really appreciate that. With that being said, this show has been made possible by OutSystems. If anyone's working on enterprise-level web and mobile applications, if you guys need something built, hit me up. My DMs are open. Let's hang out. Let's build something awesome. Thanks so much for joining me.